0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 13th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Federal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that a private defense attorney is responsible for violating the constitutional rights of an injured firefighter. Here's what happened in the case of Nicholas B. Delia versus City of Rialto. Nicholas Delia was hired by the City of Rialto Fire Department as a firefighter. He was later promoted to the rank of engineer. As a result of a disciplinary decision against him, he was demoted back to firefighter in 2006. In August 2006, Delia began to feel ill while working to control a toxic spill. He was transported to a hospital emergency room for an evaluation. His doctor issued an off-duty work order through September 3rd and then he was cleared to return to work. The city of Rialto was suspicious of Delia's off-work status due to his disciplinary history. The city hired a private investigation firm to conduct surveillance which showed him buying building supplies including rolls of fiberglass building insulation. Based on these observations, the city began a formal internal affairs investigation to determine whether he was off work under false pretenses. However, during this time, his doctor did not give him any activity restrictions. Delia was ordered to appear for an administrative investigation interview conducted by Steve A. Falarski, a private attorney retained by the city. Falarski warned Delia that if he did not cooperate, he would be insubordinate, And subject to disciplinary action up to and including termination. Delia then admitted that he had purchased some rolls of insulation that were currently still sitting in his house, but he denied that any of them had been installed. On the advice of counsel, Delia refused Falarski's request for a warrantless search of his house. Unable to get Delia to volunteer, Filarski orally ordered Delia to produce the rolls of insulation from his house. Delia drove to his house and brought out three or four rolls of insulation and placed them on his lawn, which concluded the internal affairs investigation. Delia then filed his case in federal court under 42 United States Code 1983 for a violation of his constitutional rights. The Federal District Court granted summary judgment in favor of all defendants. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals held that Delia's Fourth Amendment rights were violated when the city effected a warrantless search of his home by ordering him to bring out the rolls of insulation for inspection. The city defendants were, however, entitled to qualified immunity. Thus, the Court of Appeals affirmed the district court's grant of summary judgment in favor of the city and their employees. Folarski, as a private attorney, was not entitled to qualified immunity. The opinion reversed the district court's grant of summary judgment in his favor and remanded the case for trial or further proceedings against him. The outcome of this trial could include punitive damages and an award of attorney fees, a grim prospect for any defendant in such a suit. In the Court of Appeal case of Alvarez v. WCAB, decided this summer, the Court of Appeal annulled a decision of the WCAB allowing a panel QME to telephone defense counsel and held that the labor code expressly prohibits ex-party communications with a panel QME. This Alvarez decision raised some concern about how to handle administrative matters with any QME. The WCAB may have given some guidance in the recent panel decision of Patrick O'Reilly v. State of California Department of Corrections. In O'Reilly, the parties had objected to the opinion of the treating physician and requested a QME panel. Brendan Morley, MD, was to be the PQME when it was discovered that he could not perform the examination within the 60-day time limit. A new panel was requested, but before it was provided, Dr. Morley arranged for an earlier appointment within the 60-day time limit. The defendants objected to the use of Dr. Morley even though he had rescheduled a timely appointment. They also objected to the ex-party communications with his staff to arrange for this new appointment. The WCAB concluded that it was not inappropriate for parties to communicate with QME staff and that such communication was not prohibited by the Alvarez decision. The WCAB reasoned that by its own terms, Labor Code section 4062.3 does not include staff among the restricted communications. This panel decision helps clarify some of the limits of the Alvarez case. A panel decision is persuasive but not controlling law. Nonetheless, this panel decision is helpful guidance when scheduling QME examinations. And now our fraud report. James Gregory Campbell of Lakewood pleaded guilty to making false or fraudulent statements to reduce insurance premiums perjury, and making fraudulent statements to obtain or deny compensation. The 60-year-old general manager of a demolition company was sentenced to five years of formal probation and ordered to pay $200,000 in restitution. Scores of other related charges were dismissed as part of the plea agreement with prosecutors. Deputy District Attorney Debbie Jackson dismissed all charges against Campbell's son, Robert Scott Campbell, because investigators learned that his name was forged on multiple fraudulent documents. Campbell paid $100,000 in restitution immediately and agreed to pay $1,667 a month until he pays the other half. If he fails to do that, he can be expected to serve time in prison. It will take the elder Campbell five years to pay the remainder of the restitution. Codefendants Joseph Perry Soares and his wife, Kimberly Jane Soares of La Habra Heights, pleaded guilty back in February. Joseph Soares was sentenced to six years in prison. Kimberly Soares was sentenced to two years in prison. The three set up shell companies at multiple Orange County addresses to avoid paying millions in workers' compensation premiums despite having 60 to 120 employees on demolition and construction cleanup jobs. They would obtain a minimal insurance policy from the state compensation insurance fund to show proof of insurance and get jobs, but they claimed that they had only one full-time worker, and a sole part-time clerical employee. Rosa Pitonis, a former Sentinel State Prison Guard who was convicted by a jury of insurance fraud, filed a motion for new trial last week. The new trial motion will be heard on September 29 in Imperial County Superior Court. The prosecuting attorney is expected to respond to the motion by then. Defense Attorney Chris Kowalski cited juror misconduct and insufficient evidence as among the reasons for his client's bid for a new trial. Petones was convicted in June after a jury trial of filing fraudulent workers' compensation and insurance claims. Petonis was collecting workers' compensation payments from her job as senior librarian at the Sentinel State Prison while working as a librarian at Imperial Valley College. The prosecution successfully argued that she was not disabled since she was performing the same duties at the college that she claimed she could not perform at the prison. The Superior Court judge can grant or deny the new trial motion at this next hearing. And now our medical news. An AMA Guides newsletter reported a study of more than 6,200 AMA Guides impairment ratings spanning five years. The study claims there is a 78% error rate resulting in ratings averaging more than twice what they should be. The study was conducted by staff and associates of Impairment Resources, NAMA Guides Consulting Company. Ratings from eight states were examined, with 81% of the cases being from California and 91% of them rating using the fifth edition of the guides. The study confirms findings of a similar study performed in 2005. Inaccurate ratings are often the result of bias, confusion and misapplication of the guides according to the study. Preliminary data suggests that both the error rate and magnitude of error may be less with the sixth edition used for ratings. The term iotrogenic effect refers to the inadvertent adverse effects or complications caused by or resulting from medical treatment or advice. It has long been recognized in medicine that some patients are worse after treatment than before. The iatrogenic effect can be caused by many things such as reactions to drugs or infections obtained while in medical facilities or medical malpractice. Michael A town, a circuit court judge in the state of Hawaii has coined the phrase "jurigenic effect in many articles he has written. The jurigenic effect is the adverse social and medical effects of being subjected to a legal system. In workers' compensation it has been well recognized in medical literature that many injured workers have worse medical outcomes than patients who undergo the same medical procedure outside the workers' comp system. In simple terms, the research shows that workers' compensation systems make many people sicker than they would be if they were not in the system. Another confirming medical journal article appeared in this month's issue of Spine. The title of the study is Clinical Outcomes After Posterior Lateral Lumbar Fusion in Workers' Compensation Patients, a Case Control Study. The article authors confirm that existing medical literature shows inferior results of treatment in workers' compensation populations. This new study sought to improve upon the design prior scientific studies with better scientific methods. They used a database of 1,064 patients from a single-specialty spine clinic who underwent spine fusion. 79 of these patients had complete preoperative and two-year postoperative outcome measures. Of these, 60 patients were receiving workers' compensation before surgery. The results of this new study confirmed prior findings the non-workers' compensation patients had almost a threefold greater improvement compared with those on workers' compensation. And in other news, the National Academy of Social Insurance claims that workers' compensation payments for medical care and cash benefits for U.S. workers increased 4.4% to $57.6 billion in 2008. For the first time, medical benefits accounted for over half, that is 50.4% of all benefits paid. The increase is the continuation of a long-term trend since 1980. An 8.8% increase in payments for medical care drove medical spending to $29 billion in 2008, the most recent year with complete data. Wage replacement benefits paid directly to injured workers rose by 0.3% to $28.6 billion. The panel that oversees the report thinks that the growth in medical spending may reflect both higher prices for medical care and greater use of services. Employers paid a total of $80 billion nationwide for workers' compensation, a decrease of 6.7% from the previous year cash benefits were 48 cents per hundred dollars of payroll this is the lowest level since 1980 the earliest date with comparable data as workers compensation gas benefit cash benefits as a share of covered payroll declined it is a 25-year trend that shows that social security benefits continued to rise experts are trying to answer the question of whether Retrenchments in one program increases demands placed on the other. Social Social Security disability benefits can be substituted for workers' compensation cash benefits for workers with severe long-term disabilities. In October, workers' comp professionals will gather at the Hyatt Regency in Huntington Beach for the 8th Annual California Workers' Comp Forum. Speakers include John Duncan, the Director of the California Department of Industrial Relations. He will provide an update on the DIR's workers' compensation goals and objectives for 2010 and 2011. Dusty Overpeck, Chief Counsel and Acting Chief Deputy Administrative Director of the DWC, will provide an update from the DWC perspective. She will address the most recent regulations, return-to-work initiatives, the latest on EAMS, changes in the medical fee schedule, and their impact on employers and other stakeholders. She will also discuss what is on the DWC's agenda for the remainder of 2010 and what's on the horizon for 2011. State Senator Mark Desoliner' keynote address will provide an update on the results of the 2010 legislative session. The list of other notable speakers includes the Honorable Ronnie Kaplan and the Honorable Alfonso Morisi, who serve as commissioners on the California Workers' Compensation Appeals Board, and the Honorable Lynn Devine from the Los Angeles District Office of the WCAB. These speakers will join dozens of industry leaders who will be present to discuss their views on California workers' compensation issues during this annual event. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or iPod by searching for WorkOmp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd's, Karen, and Kelly. Thanks again for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.